Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, it's Noons. Great to have you with me for another week. This is the V8 Sleuth Podcast, polished by Bowden's Own Premium Car Care, available at Repco in Australia and New Zealand and a range of other auto stores as well. Now, James Courtney has a great racing story and he's my guest on this episode of the podcast. In fact, not just this episode, we've got a two-part episode with JC and we're gonna drop them at the same time. So once you get through part one, roll straight on in to part two, a double serving of the 2010 Supercars champion. Now this pod was a pile of fun. We recorded this around the kitchen bench at JC's place on the Gold Coast and as you'll hear, we covered a lot of ground and bounced all over the place. He's open, he's frank, well he's frank the tank occasionally too. I'd say that the word unfiltered springs to mind on occasion in this chat as well. Now, we talk about some fun stories from his time racing overseas. He opens up a lot about a range of topics, the evolution of his approach to racing, and I drop on him a document he hasn't seen in 25 years. Now, I couldn't do a chat with James either without touching on that 2010 DJR Championship winning season and the internal difficulties and what unfolded in the aftermath of that championship success. And with Bathurst, the Repco Bathurst 1000 on the horizon as we record this and deliver this podcast to you, we have a look at his history in the great race and the co-drive for his Bathurst 1000 debut with Peter Brock that could have been. This is a fun chat. I think you'll enjoy this because I really did. So settle in, enjoy this one. It's part one of James Courtney on the V8 Sleuth podcast, polished by Bowden's own premium car care. James Courtney, hello and welcome. G'day, Noons. Uh, well, actually, thank you for having me. We're sitting on the kitchen bench at Chateau I should thank Courtney. you. I'm still relevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we are talking about the old days, so well, maybe I'm not so relevant. this podcast is a bit more about what you've done rather than what you're going to do. So, All right, so that, uh, just scrap that opening statement. Yeah, yeah, just rewind, rewind. Hey, do you know it's 21 years <laughs> since I slept on the couch at your place with you and Will Davis and lived together? Do you feel old? Because I do. Yeah, that's older than some of my teammates, or <laughs> longer ago than some of my teammates have been alive. So it's uh, no, I thought about that. Um, it was, would have been the other day when I was just looking at my calendar, and it came back up as, and we spoke about doing all this. So it's um, it's crazy how fast it's all gone. I and, know. Blink and you miss it. Yeah, and I still feel like we're still those kids back then. Like it's weird that <laughs> we're now the old guys, but I yet I still feel like I'm that as, guy. As long as you feel young. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, You're allowed yeah. to look old and maybe feel old occasionally. But I get shocked when I look in the mirror now and I'm like, who's, yeah, who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I will, but it's it's great memories and it, and it's a part of your career and other drivers' careers that probably gets forgotten about because so much of the focus is the supercar stuff and it's you know it's formed the, the bigger part of your career too. But, you know, I, I vividly remember being at Silverstone in 2002. You're driving for Carlin in... British Formula 3, backed by um, – you're tied into the Jaguar world at the time. And I remember you won. 
so I threw you an Australian flag that you took up on the podium at Silverstone. I've got the photo off a really bad digital camera. It's very fuzzy. It's, it's <laughs> it would have been state of the art at the time. It, it was. It was the latest and greatest. I bought it was at it duty 3. free. Was it 3.2 megapixels or something? Oh, not or even 1. that. 8. I reckon it was 1.2. <laughs> I bought it at the uh, duty free on the way leaving Melbourne to come to England. To, that was the to birth of the sleuth back then too. I don't right? think I'd even thought of the sleuth thing by that stage. I, I wasn't running around getting your chassis number of your Dallara or whatever the <laughs> bloody thing was at the time. But um, it, great memories, great fun, like yeah, pile um, of fun, but a different life. Yeah, and a lot of time I forget it's been like about that. You know, the supercar journey has been so amazing and so all-consuming uh, and, you know, you become a father and – you know, life carries on and mm. um, it's pretty cool when people sort of ask you questions or you just, like when I – we're sitting in the truck and we have story time with the boys before a race each time and they, they want to hear an old story. Oh, yeah. Tell me about yeah. know, insert legend you raced against name here. Yeah, so then we, we tell a story and then they do their little research and they'll ask me questions about a race that they've sort but of what's, researched. What's one of your latest ones? What have you, what have you bowled out to the Tickford boys? Um, well, they asked about – because there's a picture, they, some, one of them found a picture of me in the Hot Wheels – F3 car with a giant flame coming out the back. I remember it, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that flame happened because I spun at Castle Coombe um, and as I was going off I was, you know, overfueled the engine and then when I barked it back up it blew a huge flame. Like that's not a cool story but it was it's just the, the story last behind one. the but, photo. Yeah. But, yeah, but there's so many crazy things like, um, you know, they'll ask about oh, – Thomas has been digging like crazy because he loves onboard footage and stuff. So he's found – like all this old footage of me racing and, and um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think there was actually – he had some of that Silverstone race and then he had a, a video of um, – there was a race at Thruxton, I remember. I got passed by um, – I think it was – I can't remember. I used to call him Wayne Kerr. Um, Wayne Kerr. Robbie Kerr. Robbie Kerr, yeah. Joe Allen Docking. Yeah. He passed me into the last chicane at, at Thruxton and um, – Anyway, and then we sort of had a bit of a jostling there and then um, Carboni come past me and I just had the shits as I did back in the day. And I just took the guy out just because I had the shits. Guy, yeah. Angry young guy. But as I come back across the track, that took out like about four other cars and then the races, you thought the crash was over and then some guy come like cartwheeling through the, phone, like through the, <laughs> the image. So it was, uh, yeah, it was funny just going through all that old stuff and, and – um, yeah, there's another – that same race I um, got spun by Davidson at church, which was a flat corner. And um, Davidson. Yeah, and yeah, Davidson. Yeah, I was thinking, um, Will didn't do that to you. you were no, no. Wrong, well, wrong category. Will right and here. I had our run-ins as well. But, um, but no, it's cool going through all that sort of stuff and it, it just brings up so many memories and of, um, you know, things that from one photo or one little clip you sort of can remember that whole weekend. It starts to paint the rest yeah, of the picture. Yeah, and then, yeah, then yeah. I just can't shut up and then the guys are coming and yelling, hey, it's time, time we've got to get, in, get in the car and we get in the car. But it's, um, yeah, there's some funny stories that uh, that have come out of it and then, uh, yeah, it's good. Nice out and stuff. Speaking of um, things found and things dug, I wanted to just show you something. Actually, I, I, didn't sh- I was going to send you this before I came to see you and then I thought, you want the real reaction? Uh, no, I won't do that. It, it, it fits the – I was going to talk about this later, but this just popped up um, in my travels. And you haven't seen this. I'm just going to show you – give you the laptop and you tell the podcast listeners what you see on the laptop screen in front of you. It is an email. I don't think it's an That's email. A fax. It's a fax. That's how old it is. To Mr. Alan Gow from me. Look at that. How did you find this? <laughs> He's just gone away from the microphone to really zero in onto this 
what's on the laptop in front of him. So what this is, this is a fax. All right. This How is did from you the, get that? This is from the very early era. This is late 90s. Is it 1998, I think? It is the 12th of the 10th, 1998. I remember. Yeah, 100% remember this. And this is a, this is a fax stream between you and Mr. Alan Gow, who I think you called Mr. Gow at the time and he said, please call me Alan. Yes. Um, when you, you were getting involved with he and Neil Crompton, so this this, this, is this came from about Neil? this came oh. about. From, <laughs> I was like, Alan wouldn't have said what, this. What, what, did it, what did it say? What does some of it say? Without divulging anything that you shouldn't. It just says me um, thanking him for his time. Um, please that you can take me on the promise. Last weekend, I'm explaining about a, a, um, a the weekend that I had. It's pretty faint. <laughs> oh, and then I'm talking about I'm going to the Gold Coast as a guest of Honda. I remember that weekend. For the IndyCar weekend. For the IndyCar weekend. That's the weekend I met Dario and Paul Tracy and all those boys. Yeah, they all led you astray, I'm sure. Yeah, and they um, they then took me to Shooters and I was 98. Oh, I would have been 17. I wasn't enough. old enough, but close enough. enough. Close and enough. I remember, yeah, see what I see? I, I have one thing, then all this Correct. other stuff buys. Exactly, but, and that was the thought. But, um, but yeah, I remember I'd have to... Uh, Write those little messages to Alan to keep him updated of where I was and what I was doing. And, and, and this is the Mr. Alan Gow, that is. This That's is, crazy, that little fax. So, so there's a, there was a couple of little streams of facts. So I thought I'd just show you that because I thought you'd get a giggle out of it. That and is good. It's, um, something that you wouldn't have seen. I for thought a long it was going to be a picture of me passed out or something. <laughs> <laughs> They're in another folder on the laptop, James. <laughs> or Craig uh, Murray hiding under the steps at that house he used to sleep uh, at. He used to, live in the, he used to sleep in the broom cupboard, literally. Yeah. yeah. He'd just fit in there. And I remember when you were there, we used to go off at will. Cause he, he raced Formula Ford, Craig Murray. He was a really good Formula Ford He's racer. good. He's good. Who knows what Craig's doing now. But um, And I remember we would go out and do stuff and Will would be at home still. Just playing PlayStation or whatever the playing hell it was. Gran Turismo. Yeah, he was very good at Gran Turismo. He was very good. But yeah, uh, these faxes came because I was re- with Neil's. When we did Neil's book a couple of years ago, he clearly opened up everything to go, hey, search. And you know what he's like. He yeah. keeps everything. So search through this, that and whatever, finding all sorts of old photos and bits and pieces and these crappy bits of fax paper that were really faded popped out and I just saw your name at the top of it and I went, oh, this would be cool. What's this about? And it was basically the initial interaction between you and Man, Alan. Who, Mr. Gow. Who became, of course, your, your manager for, for many a moon and he's still he's not your manager anymore, is he? Or is he sort of, he's still helpful and amazing. No, I, speak, I speak to him most mornings. I spoke to him already this morning. He um, was weird because I left Australia at such a young age, went to Europe and all that sort of stuff. I had a – sounds bad, but – probably a very unusual relationship with my family because back then when I left, it was before FaceTime and as you know, yeah, yeah, Instagram, yeah. Freaking the internet had only wasn't even started or, you know, it was... There's no Zoom. Sort of, there's yeah, there's nothing. nothing. So I'd sort of leave and you'd talk on and the you phone. you when you were, what, 14? 15, yeah. 14? Yeah, and then you'd talk on the phone but phone calls were so expensive and mum and dad, you'd get on the phone, they'd be like, oh, how are you getting... Talk real fast. <laughs> Hang up. So um, never really had... So through all those, I suppose, very... Influential years, I sort of, I didn't. My father and mother figures sort of were there, but they weren't there physically with me. So you ended up, um, you know, picking up things from other people that were around you. So I think it annoys the hell, or it did for a long time. I think annoyed my parents that I probably acted a bit like Gao or you know used mannerisms of his and and Neil and those sorts of people that I was sort of interacting with mm. a lot through those years. Um, but yeah, Alan's been a massive part of my life. Is 
we're each other's longest relationship. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's my best mate, my manager, or not my manager anymore, my mate, my father figure, one of my father Confident figures. Confident, like, he's all that yeah, stuff. He's yeah, he's all that. So, um, you know, two probably or you know, three people or male figures that have been really important in my life. Um, Alan would be one, my dad, um, 100%. And um, probably a guy, Jim Morton, who gave mm. me the kickstart in the start. So there's, um, you know, I've had some pretty good people along the way and those uh, three blokes have been a big part of it. And Alan's probably, yeah, one of the biggest parts of the puzzle. They make the difference. Every, you, you don't get anywhere without someone or someones who open a door, put their hand in their pocket, which Alan did for your first year of racing in the UK. There's all these little people that uh, lily pads along the way. Some of them are bigger lily pads than others to mm. help you sort of spring to the, the next point. Probably springs me to another little discussion point. We did talk about this, you and I, um, some years ago when I think we we're doing a Fox Sports filming for the, the Bathurst 24 7 channel. But, um, and it was the first time I'd ever heard you talk about this, but it's a Gower connection in that. And because this year's Bathurst is the 60th anniversary, so there's a lot of history stuff that will come up in the next month or two in the lead-up, or from when we're doing this podcast, we're recording this a bit of a way out from Bathurst, but you were actually going to make your Bathurst debut with Peter Brock. That yeah. was on the cards. Yeah, yeah, it was 100%. Fire Allen. Yeah, it was, all, it was all happening. And then, then I think um, something happened in Japan and I couldn't, couldn't do it, so you know, quite late in the piece, it didn't end up happening. So that would have been that would have been pretty cool because Big Pete and Alan were, you know, super close. Peter mm. would always come and stay with us in the UK for at least a month, a year, um, which was always very entertaining. Um, but, yeah, that was, um, that was something that not many, many people know. And, and um, you know, Peter was a big, big uh, fan, you know, and I was a big fan of his and he sort of gave me a heap of advice and, and um, things that I still use now today. Um, and I had a really close relationship with him and 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 Bev, um, but yeah, it would have been would have been pretty special to have your first Bathurst with with Big PB. No, no pressure or anything. Driver zero five for the first yeah, time. You know, Peter, he would be like, you know, son, don't, don't give a shit about what have happens. Yeah, yeah, just have a crack. Enjoy we'll that. have some fun and yeah, you know, here's a glass of hot honey tea or whatever <laughs> the hell we, herbal herbal yeah, tea. Yeah, some with weird it. shit that he'd drink and, and um, off we'd go. But um, but no, I, I feel pretty lucky that. Um, you know, someone that you idolised as a child or, you know, majority of Australian kids in motor racing did. And, um, you know, for those far out, it would have been for like a good four or five years, I, you know, saw him for long periods of time every year and, and interacted quite heavily with him, with Alan. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was pretty special and, and um, you know, I remember how emotional that, year at Bathurst mm. was the year he died and you know fortunately I was on the podium and you know, I was there and as you could see you know Craig was obviously equally as emotional um so yeah it was it was um it would have been would have been cool but um you know I'm still still uh grateful for the time that I did get to spend with him and and everything he did sort of pass on or you know Probably useless bits of information for him, but as a kid, you're sort of a sponge and absorbing it all. I'll take that. I'll yeah, take that. I'll take yeah, that. exactly. Out of my pocket. So it's um, no, it's that. been been cool. A lot of cool stories. Yeah, totally, totally. Going to jump around because that's, that's what we tend right. to do on this podcast. We've got ADHD, here. so it's all good. <laughs> here, there, and everywhere. 2010. It's the championship that was won against the odds. Everyone remembers the Sydney 
he's in the fence. They're both in the fence. They're all in the fence. It's a it's an immortal part of supercars history. The the patch up job, get the car out there, do all that. But rewind, the pathway to that was I reckon there's a doco in 2010. So just take me a bit more behind the scenes during that year because clearly, and I've talked to Charlie on the pod. I've you know, spoken to Dick at how, length over the years. How open has Charlie been about it? I was pretty open. Uh, last year I think it was that I chatted to him. Yeah. Um, but basically when you've got two owners that are not getting Happy. on and not talking <laughs> and the, the, the joint was, you know, struggling for money and take me behind the scenes of, of some of the hurdles and the, the – I mean we all saw what was happening on the track but clearly behind the scenes the most difficult scenario to try to win a championship and you guys pulled it off. Yeah, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, you know, the crazy thing was that as a a team or, you know, the guys on the floor, you know, mechanics, engineers, us drivers, you know, we had such a good bond and there was such this, like, brotherhood. You know, you read about stories of football teams and they, make, they do make documentaries about mm. that team mm. spirit and, you know, everyone's in it for each other. That's Like, it was like a movie and that's how good... Um, the group of guys were and we were all sort of in it for each other and to have all that craziness going on in the background um, was was wild and I think... Did you know the level of at all at the time or was there some stuff that came out of it later? I saw a lot of stuff I probably shouldn't have seen. Um, <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I did pretty good. I knew pretty well how crazy it was and what was going on and and um, that sort of stuff. But, um, but I think it's one thing that Adrian... I think the only reason, or not the only, we all did our job and played our part and all that sort of stuff. But I think the strongest or the best part about that year, what held everything together, was Adrian um, Burgess. He was really good at um, sort of keeping everyone focused and and um, you know on the end goal. And he, I remember he just pulled us all together when it was all really turned into shit and just said, "Hey, look, the best thing we all can do here is do the best job we can and do it for each other because." the only way we're going to get out of this is if we win this thing and we all get jobs elsewhere because otherwise this thing's going down in a steaming heap of shit. Mm. So let's do it for each other. Let's you know do the best we can and, and if we do the best we can, for sure we're all going to get jobs elsewhere. So, so um, yeah. Well, was that before or after he'd done the deal with Roland? I think it was probably oh, I'm hoping probably it was after. before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Who knows how early Adrian did that deal. But um, I think he – because he was privy to stuff before everyone else, so I think he probably did his deal with RD pretty early. Um, but, yeah, it's, um, it was it was pretty emotional year or hard to block all that sort of stuff out. But I think the good thing was that because we were doing well and we had the results and it was going well, you sort of like I had the HRT thing where they were sort of interested and and so it was always going to – and I knew if I the better I did, the – better chance of it all coming off was going to be. So it was um, it was a massive distraction. I remember at, like at Homebush the last round, the lift opened and it was Dick, Jill and Charlie in the lift and they weren't all pleasantly standing there mm-hmm. um, agreeing on things. It mm-hmm. was um, – and that was that was the round where we were supposed to, to um, finish it all up and then at that time Charlie was – trying to start the thing at FPR but he didn't have a wreck and Dick wouldn't let go of the wreck and then Charlie's trying to get me to do a deal with him, to go with him and he was talking about, like with the Pepsi thing and 
And um, and then that was never going to happen. And Cochrane told me there's no way they're giving them an, another wreck. And then Charlie's telling me he's going to get a wreck. And then and he was saying he's going to get off Dick. And Dick's like, there's no way that's getting anything off me. And so there's all this craziness um, going on. And I'm still trying to win the championship. And and um, you're trying and to win it for a team that sort of is doing everything within its power to not be a team. Like it was. And clearly it was kind of like a team that was clearly going to be broken up at the end of the year no matter what you did or didn't do on the track. Yeah, so it was it was bloody – it was wild, mate. It was a wild time. Um, and I think the one thing that saved me was that I'm not smart enough to think about two things at once. So when I pulled the helmet on, <laughs> I was just focused on the driving side of things. But um, but that weekend was, was um, you know, that you alluded to before, was was pretty amazing and it just showed the strength in the team, guys, hardcore guys on the ground with their, you know, wanted it more than the Triple Eight guys and the only reason we won was because those guys worked harder and got my car out. It was a little wobbly but wobbly this way, I wouldn't have liked to have done a, a lap at speed. No. no. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was a good time. It's funny because I think that, as time goes on, the narrative of those events and those things can be not warped, not morphed, but everyone tells a story from their own angle and memories fade a little bit and the way people look at it. So, um, And I've heard RD speak over the years about how, well, oh, well, the DJR blokes didn't have as much analysis from the officials, but they had more people working on the car than they should have and, and we had people looking all over us so we couldn't do it. And that, that's sort of been intimated as to why, but you got to look at the bigger picture of the whole season. That was the season that they actually, and this is not to say that you didn't win the championship, mm. they coughed up hundreds and hundreds of points in mechanical issues and various dramas. I remember at Tassie the they didn't put enough fuel in the car. And so that was at a critical time, wasn't it? Like yeah. Third last round, yeah. Um, but uh, even then. Didn't you like, get a drive-through down there or something for doing something in Tassie? Me? What happened in Tassie? Oh, I can't remember. There was some, uh, you didn't have a terribly flash weekend from memory, I remember, and. It was all starting to get – because we had this – and you remember this. You should remember this. If you don't remember this, you might I've remember it I've had a lot now. of blows at the head. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, we'll talk about those. Um, I think the last three rounds were in a space of four weeks. That It was Tassie, Sandown, Sydney. I think it was Tassie and Sandown back-to-back weekends, weekend off Sydney. So it was massively on the go. So, mm. But Sandown was the return of serve where you won the Boom. Sunday race. Pass move on, last lap, mm. first corner. You remember Bang. it well. Yeah. It's funny the bits you remember when you pass people for the win. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, keep dreaming, son, not this year. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember too because there were f- you had five wins that year and four of them were in a row across Winton and Queensland with a soft tyre where you just dominated, absolutely lit yeah, it up. Yeah, the thing lit up. It's amazing. Um, that was right when we just started with the whole self. Second year maybe? Second year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was really good. But going back to Homebush um, – just a little useless fact for you. As I was going, as we started the car and I was driving out to do that wobbliest lap mm. of all time, um, I was thanking the boys on the radio and when I talk, you know, I, my hands are everywhere. And as I went past the Triple Eight garage, they must have looked out and Roland went to the officials and tried to get me in trouble for sticking my finger up at them as I went past. Like that's how desperate they were to try and drag points back from us. But, um, you know, I... Obviously didn't. I'm just talking with my hands, and I remember them having to go through the in-car footage and watch it, and, and all this sort of stuff. So it was, um, yeah, it got pretty pretty petty there in the end. <laughs> Shocked me. Who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have thought? It, could you hear the crowd? Because the roar from that grandstand on that pit straight when the car rolled back out. I mean, normally 
you've got a helmet on, you've got earplugs in, you're talking to the team, you've got all that stuff. So it's very rare, you know, if an AFL player or, you know, mm. I know you're a Penrith fan, NRL player, scores a try or, you know, AFL kicks a goal, you've got 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 people roaring, you can hear it, you mm. can react to it, you can feed off it. As a race driver, you can't really do that very often. But select few is that one of the areas. occasions where you did Definitely hear it? 100% heard them. Um, and the, it's, not, it's funny now, but I remember they were like, right, go, let's go, get it, get it going and bark it up. So I started it up and you could hear everyone just go crazy. And then Frank Adamson's like, no, stop. Shut off, you've got to fix something else. So, um, And then when we switch it off, I could hear everyone go, oh. <laughs> and then they fixed it. And then we started back up. And then they're like, hey, again. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, definitely that was a moment where you could you could hear everyone. And, um, you know, there's their batters sometimes on the start line, Gold Coast at the end. You can sort of hear some people. But there was so clear, I guess, because the hospitality was right above us. Mm, mm. Um, and I think it was everyone in the garage cheering as well. So it was, um, yeah, definitely a... A um, like again, goosebumps now. That yeah, sort of moment it was, was, was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And it was the culmination of all of that year. If it had been just a, a, all the off track stuff hadn't been going on, it just added to the layers mm. of that 2010 championship season. And then there was sort of the other layer to the whole what you did after that. The fact that you left, you took the one with you, which there's still DJR fans who suck on socials oh, about mate. that. They still all get the emotional. Time. All like, the time. crazy. But in that year I had um, the birth of my sec- my son, second child, Cadell as well, was thrown in um, to the mix of all that. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a pretty pretty intense. I remember I had a mad dust up with Karis that year as well and, and – um, I've told anyone, but I was out of home for two weeks and like it was just like crazy. right in that back end of the year or during the year, maybe. yeah, during the year. So yeah, it right. was like there was plenty because I was so stressed with because I knew the team was in drama and I was taking out on her and all like all sorts of stuff. So it was, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty wild time. It was mm. a big year and to go through it all and then come out at the end and and um, like you said, the HRT deal was. Was amazing, um, and I think like we spoke about Peter a little bit before. Um, that was a big part of why I wanted to do the HRT thing because of the history with him being there, um, being always a big fan, being well, able to have my name up on the side, you know, with with Peter's name where yeah. it was, and all that sort of stuff was a big part of why I went there. And equally as well, the only reason I could go there was because. DJR released me from my contract because the team was at that point was closing. So I remember. Um, so you Dick actually were contracted for the following. Yeah, year. and and it was, I can't remember if it was Dick or Charlie. One of them came to us and just said, "Hey, look, the whole thing's over." Um, and I remember when the truck in that period when it left to go to Homebush, I remember them coming and saying to us, "Don't leave anything in the truck because it's going to the receivers afterwards." It's you know, it's all done. So what you need, make sure you got out of it and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then obviously history tells that Steve Brayback jumped in at last minute and kept Dick afloat so it didn't get, didn't get taken. But, um, but yeah, so I was never going to – why would I leave? I wouldn't have left. I was, you know, getting paid good money, won the championship, was racing with, you know, my best mates. Um, you know, I had no, I'd no interest in leaving. The only reason I left was because – There was nothing there. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, 
And within seconds, you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. The Charlie thing you mentioned, the FPR thing, it took a few goes over the journey for you to end up. You got there eventually when it was Tickford and is Tickford and, and you're there now. Yeah, that's what I said to Tim. I said, you've been sexting me for a decade and a half here. It's finally <laughs> got, we got, got together. together. Yeah. <laughs> was there any other logical, real opportunities apart from the HRT thing for 2011 or was that kind of it? No, that was it. Charlie's thing was a pipe dream. He wanted it to happen but it was never going to happen. Um, you know, when, when the owner of the championship tells you that it's not going to happen, then it's a pretty good indication. Mm. That, and equally, where was the the Pepsi Falcon at Tickford? It wasn't there. So, you know, we tried really hard. Obviously, if Dick, if Charlie could have got his wreck off Dick, then it would have been a very different story, but he couldn't. So That's we ended up where we are. And then wasn't. the DJR fans had... All the cars had a big number one and a little number seven and a little at number the, eight. The test no, it's because Moff's at HRT, oh, HRT, Tickford now with Cam. And every time we always joke about it that, you know, that he had the big one on the side. They like, did, oh, but you're... they had to take it off. Yeah. They ran at the test day at Eastern Creek I and remember they told it. Uh, so to park it up. Yeah, I could. I remember a fan writing to me on Facebook saying if he saw me in the street, he'd stab me in the eye. And I wrote back to him, I'm like, hey, mate, there's kids that read this stuff. Just. Keep it PG, and he's like, "Oh my god, I didn't think you'd read it. I'm, it's, I'm sorry." It's funny, and a lot I'm of people like, on socials write like, things that they oh. think people won't reply to or see. Yeah, like that. So, that was, um, yeah. I'd appreciate, it. but no, yeah, no. it's been interesting, mate. Just, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, the V8 journey was HRT at the beginning. Obviously, Scafi was a huge part of that to to bring you in for those enduros with. The awesome Jim Richards, like what a what a dude, what yeah, an amazing guy. I don't get to do Bathurst with Peter Brock, but I but get, you Jim, get Jim Richards. Richards. And then the year after was Glenn Seaton. I, like, <laughs> you did too. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. craziness. It's a, it's a good lineup. It's a, yeah. it's a very good start to things. Was there anyone else sniffing around? You did get you into a V8 early, or was it really because you were? Because by that stage you were GT racing, but I think you were living in Australia, weren't you? By that stage, uh, yeah, you I was in Japan previously, but then yeah. you, you guys were. You yeah, were I was living on the sunny coast, so. Big Neely boy again. Mm-hmm. Um, called who, who, on. He was the HRT ride car driver at the time. Yeah, so Neil was introduced me to Alan. Neil sort of pretty much sorted out the or sort of put Alan and Scave together to do and through Peter to do the Bathurst thing. Um, so I've called on Neil a few times when when I've needed. <laughs> He's unbelievably connected, as you know. He knows so, people. Um, he knows people. But, uh, but there's no one else sniffing around, going, "Oh, what if we get James Courtney to come and drive at Bathurst?" That was yeah. DJR asked a couple of times because they were because um, Alan and Radisich were really quite close. Yep. Um, but yeah, I didn't really at those times. I wasn't really interested in coming back. It was I sort of was fighting it, not interested, not interested, and then all of a sudden I was like, you know what. Interested. Yeah. I've had enough of this being overseas. Karis and my wife at the time wanted to come back. Let's we had already half came back because we were living on the sunny coast and I was just commuting. I was watching the supercars. I never watched it. Like when I was a kid, I watched it and then as soon as I left, like for whatever it was, 14, 15 years, I didn't watch anything. Um so because I was back here, I was watching it and I was like, you know what? Crowds look big, blokes look like they're having a great time, cars look like fun, they look like they're earning a pretty good dollar. I'll have some what of am that. I doing? Yeah. Mm. So um, yeah, I remember. I, and Neil was trying to tell, talk me out of coming back. He's like, "Yeah, don't do it. You know, it's just, they're not as good as what they think, and it's like an ex, it's like a 
you know, you've got a girl and you'd see a hot one, you, you know, you think she's hot, but then you're with her for a couple of months and you realize it's the same as what you've had. And, <laughs> and I'm trying to give me all these analogies to, to relate to me as a teenage kid. But, um, well, I wasn't a teenager then, I was in my you early 20s. Teenager. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I still wanted to come back and I don't regret it. I, to be honest, now, like, I wouldn't change anything that I've done, but, um, if I had come back earlier, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't be upset. Mm. Yeah, no, good way to put it. Good way to put it. Long time. So the HRT thing led to the Stones thing because Mark Sambrose obviously departed to go and do the NASCAR. It's thing actually in the done before I even drove at Bathurst. The Stones. The Stones thing. deal. Yeah, yeah. So I we agreed earlier. Sandown had been before that. No, even before Sandown. Right, so, we, so you had your Stoney's deal done, but the whole yeah. charade of it all was being played out for a while there. Yeah, so... Because that's how it has to be. That's that's the gig. Yes, yeah, hopefully no one goes back over contracts and gets upset. But. <laughs> uh, statute of limitations, <laughs> I think we're clear. I think we're all but, clear. Um, but yeah, as soon as I said I wanted to come back and then I think Marcus announced in March at the Grand Prix that he it didn't was, want yeah, to do it, it was, anymore. Yeah. And I'd already said that I was coming back to do Bathurst and then I think it was like if not the week after the Grand Prix, pretty like it was very freaking close to that. Ross and Jimmy were, yeah, hey, do you want to come here, sir? Mm. And Scafie didn't take this well? No, no, didn't, didn't, um, wasn't as friendly as he was in the start of things, let's put it that way. <laughs> but he was, because I was trying so bloody hard, because I wanted to race at HRT. Like it's, as a kid, that's the team. Yeah. So, um, no, mustn't have been. I mustn't have done the deal with SBR until after July. But we'd you know started talking and stuff because I remember the ta- the race at Darwin. Mm-hmm. If Todd didn't perform at Darwin, then he was gone, and I was going to be in with Scaife that next year. Like I was going to do the Enduros and then full time with them. And then Todd won both or all three races at Darwin or something. And he won in China as well. Yeah, so you, then, you got on a real roll. He had a very yeah, good year. Yeah. Bastard. So then, and won Bathurst as well. Yeah, so then Scape's like, yeah, no. Nah, We've got to uh, keep him. Yeah, that's not going to happen. So then boom. And he wasn't exactly going to step out of the car. So No, so I sort of – I think Alan was doing a good job of dragging SBRs as long as, as they could and, and um, yeah, and then that didn't happen and then we went that way. Hmm. You ended up – obviously we talked about the DJR stuff – Back to what? Well, by then it was Walken Shores, really. Obviously, Mark wasn't running the ship; he was gone by then. But um, long period of well, HRT, WR, WAU. It sort of changed names a couple of times in the time that you were there. Should you have maybe looked elsewhere before you did at the end of of all of that? Looking back on it, because um, it, it kind of felt like the same video repeating every couple of years with the team. It just felt like... And it's still going? Well, to a degree, yeah, to a um, degree, but... Yeah, it's... it's oh, I so badly wanted it wanted it to be better. Mm. Um, and I think the childhood memory of what it was is what kept me going to try and... I'm a stubborn, ego-driven asshole, really. You and think, you, think. It, you, you always believe that you can still help and make it better and, and, and get there. And, you know, I wanted it to be what it was when, you know, when Brock and those guys were, were there. So I, that's why I stayed as long as I did. And, and plus there was a great group of guys like Macca, Burnsy, Brains, like all those like old school blokes, Robbie Starr, like they're hard-ass races. And they're love like it. that's they how I, I'm old school. Like it, a lot of the new – like I'm not taking anything away from, you know, the newer guys that are on the scene but – 
it's not as um, passion driven anymore as what it was back then. I think a bit more is clinical, maybe the yeah, word, definitely clinical. Pretty more much. business than sport. Yeah, exactly. Know, it's, it's it's um the world has changed too as the as a part of it as yeah, well. Yeah, like the, I don't know, like it. There's no hatred. Like the thing that kills me now is all the drives are best mates with each other and slapping each other on the back and hey bud and hey holiday together. But and, not all the time. Yeah, but like but when, when they do have the odd little blue, yeah, it doesn't last very long. No, but like with well, who who did you genuinely? I mean, if I said if I looked at V8 supercar rivalries in the last twenty years, there's a whole pile that are really easy. Scaifingal, Winkup, Winterbottoms, a, a really good modern one. Um, you know, Lowndes and Rick Kelly had a thing there for a while with the title, but. Who was your – who did you – I mean, you had the odd scrape and bump with blokes, but who did you actually have a really – I'm just an asshole to everyone. Oh, well, at least you're an equal opportunist. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think I singled anyone out. I had some crackers with Will, and I think because we knew each other so well, I knew how to just really – Press each other's oh, buttons. Oh, mate. I remember Tazzy that time. 2015 oh, in that the Merc. perfect. And because I know – like, we'd lived together, like, as yeah, you know, yeah. so – I know that guy inside and out, and I just knew exactly what to say and where to touch him on his elbow. And, and stuff. of course, there was a camera there oh, to capture it. Just, I could, I was watching. I went, I know exactly what you're just doing. Revved here. him up, Paul Willard. But he's, um, but yeah, I don't think I've, I've, I'm an asshole equally to everyone. I don't think I've targeted anyone. And and um, but yeah, it's. I'd say that the thing that you know, growing up as a kid, I was always taught, you know, they're the enemy and blah blah blah, and you know, and they're the guy well, that you're, you're in with to get money to feed your kids. It, it, and your it was dog eat dog in Europe and yeah. England. So, not a lot of the drivers here who haven't gone and done that have had that exposure to that style of mm. really cutthroat motor racing and competition. So, yeah, comes out in you, you asshole. Yeah, terrible. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> Well, I'm an asshole and I'm fine with it. There's yeah. the pull-out quote from the podcast yeah, exactly. for, for everyone to read <laughs> next week. Um, one of the things across the journey, you alluded to it earlier, With you've had a few um, accidents, injuries, bits and pieces. The F1 crash at Monza is really well documented and you've talked about that a, a bazillion times. The Phillip Island crash with um, Alex Premier when he had the, the flat tyre and fired it in the side of you. You've got a piece of that car still. It's in the you? garage. We'll have to take a photo for, yeah. the, for the listener. Photo. I've got the – when you're looking for – is it chassis 26? Boom, oh, it's in I there. I can't remember what it's number it the, is, but it's got the WR, plate on it. I think it's WR26. From my memory that uh, when you had your last run with Walkinshaws in Newcastle, they gave you – they'd cut up that car because it was staffed. Yeah. But they cut that – sort of that driver's section tubing and presented it to you as your going away gift. But – it's not something you could just put in the overhead locker and take back home with you, though. No, I remember. Um, I think the, I think most of the stuff I need to bring back from a race, I throw in the DJR truck with with Benny Croak and those boys and and Mikey Flynn. So I think they brought it back for me. Um, but yeah, it's in the garage. It's you can see where the you know where the chassis failed and sort of came in, and it's. Um, it's not something I look at and have a fond memory of. No, it's, no, it's uh, not. A, oh, those were the days. Yeah, yeah, but it's. Um, I don't know. I, I got it, and I'm like, yeah, it's cool to have. And now I'm like, fuck, it's in the way. Like, <laughs> what does anyone want it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe it, the sleuth can sell it. <laughs> now, I was about to say, the second anybody hears this, I'm going to cop emails and Facebook messages saying, "What's the sleuth commission how much, on this? How much? Yeah. How much offer? What's the commission on the well, deal? We, we do a deal." We do a deal. <laughs> A podcast for it? <laughs> yeah, well, you never know. It's, uh, I'm open to all sorts of deals, mate. I am, well, I've been hanging out with Crompton way too much for wheeling and dealing. Um, 
that 2015 thing in Sydney where that helicopter flew over and, and you got whacked with that sponsor board, I know that that affected you for, for a fair while. Is it still something that you've, you've, you carry, the, the remnants of that? I yeah. Mean, what are we now, like eight years on? Yeah, I can feel it now sitting here. So it's um, because I had so much rib, ribs were broken and damaged so much, your nerve on your rib or for your chest, your rib runs along the bottom of the bone because the, they were so badly displaced. When it grows, it creates like a knob on it, doesn't it, when it heals? So it's sort of grown around the nerve. So when I breathe, you can feel it pulling. Mm. And it's not something you can go and get. No, sir, fixed. I did um, for a long time, up until only not like, you know, recently, they'd go and they'd put, I think it was 12 holes in the side of me and they'd burn the nerve on each side on where each break was to kill the nerve so then I wouldn't feel it. Um, but then the nerve grows back and then you can feel it again. You so do it just, all over again. Yeah. yeah, so it's annoying. Like I can't lay on that right side. So with the bed, because ice, it compresses. Yeah, you can just feel it. Just yeah. feels real shit and hurts. Um, so with the bed, I lay on the. If you're looking at our bed, I'm on the right side. So then, by I the don't way, have to I'm not face. looking at your bed. We're in the kitchen, so I'm not looking. Noon, at your get bed. off, get off Tegan's side of the bed. But um, <laughs> but yeah. So then I face away from her. So she gets her my excuses. Oh, my, ch- you know, the injury hurts. Oh, I can't, I can't get face that you when we're asleep. <laughs> but um, but no, it's uh, yes, yeah, definitely, it's something that still carries on i feel it every day all day so mm. it's um yeah it's not and also i got pins and needles in the backs of my leg uh, knees and the arches of my feet ever since then as well because they said one of the ribs or because it got the weight got hit three of them sort of hit into the, my spine or something and went real close to damaging my spinal cord so from that trauma that's why it i've got the pins and needles yeah. yeah yeah so nothing from that philip island crash that flowed through everything, all of those things are from two years later, from Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the the I do have a sore leg in winter from the – because it broke my tibia and fibula, the two bottom bones, then up into my knee. So if I run now, my knee hurts a lot and um, and you get sort of like a bone ache. But, yeah, the majority of the stuff's from the other one. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's like pick your injury and. And pick now your I'm own. racing for Tickford. It was Tickford's sponsor too. He <laughs> did it to me. <laughs> no comment, Your Honour. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. <laughs> well, that's where we put part one of the podcast into the garage and park it up. But my chat with James Courtney isn't done. Part two is on the start line, on the limiter, ready to go for you to roll straight on into. On part two. We talk about the stories behind his tats, true story. We talk about his Bathurst 1000 near misses and we get stuck into your National Motor Racing Museum, couch racer questions, among plenty of other topics. And yes, Frank the Tank gets a run and he nominates and anoints the successor when one day he hands that over of who he thinks should take over that celebration that he's been running in supercars for plenty of years. Right, go and get started on part two. I'll see you there with the V8 Salute podcast polished by Bowden's own premium car care. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.